So welcome back to the Trafe podcast. Thank uh, you, David. <laughs> I was thanking everybody who is listening. Me and Sam are still in Toronto. And since we're here, we're here at a very particular time. And why is this time different than all other times, David? <laughs> well, for many reasons. Um, one reason is that it is the 84th anniversary of what are called the Christie Pitts riots uh, in Toronto. Which took place on August 16th. 1933. Yeah, I'm glad you looked that up before we started, <laughs> just to make sure. Um, but the rise of the far right and white supremacists is definitely in all of our minds right now. And being here in Toronto during this particular anniversary had more resonance maybe than, than other years. Oh, David, I think you're burying the lead here a little bit. Uh, the Christie Bits riots, in short, was kind of resistance by mostly Jewish and some Italian Toronto baseball players, and then also it became a larger community affair against white supremacist Nazis right before the beginning of the Second World War. Yeah, the riot was a culmination of tensions that had been building between a predominantly Jewish baseball team and another team that was sympathetic to the Nazi movement that was gaining power in Germany at the time. And during one game in particular, the swastika banner was dropped the tensions boiled over and erupted into a riot. Jewish people and Italian folks came from blocks away. People brought steel pipes. It was a very brutal riot that lasted for an incredibly long time and really changed the politics of the city at the time. But for many people, it was this like boiling point where people felt like the discrimination and racism they were facing needed to be confronted with violence. So there's a commemoration happening organized by an anti-fascist group in the park a few days after me and Sam leave town. But we wanted to share some footage that was originally broadcast on Radio 613. We have to give credit where credit is due. Radio 613 is kind of like a precursor to Trafe. Avi, Malka, and Sean put together the show. Yeah, it was a radio show that was broadcast on the campus community radio station in Kingston, Ontario. Um, and before we did the show, I, I was a frequent listener of it, and it was very inspirational to me, and I learned a lot through it. Both of us are lucky enough to be friends with Avi at this point. We all live in Montreal together and do organizing together. And the clip that we're going to play from this particular episode is one of my favorites, where Avi went to an earlier memorial of the Christie Pitts riots and was able to speak with people who were actually there. Yeah, it's a great interview. We encourage you to listen to other Radio 613 episodes. They've put their whole archive up on iTunes. It's Radio 613. We've been trying to get the Radio 613 folks on the show for quite a long time, so you might hear us uh, talking with them in the near future. Enjoy the show. Welcome to a brand new show here at CFRC. This is a weekly show, actually. We will be broadcasting every Monday from 5 o'clock to 6 p.m. And the show will focus on Jewish politics, culture, history, and religious life. And we begin today with the 75th anniversary of the Christie Pitts riot in Toronto. Uh, on August 16th, 1933, it's the largest riot in Toronto's history. It uh, was a vehement expression of the... Uh, anti-Semitic climate of the time that defined Toronto. It also marked a strong point of resistance for Jews and those in solidarity with them. And last month, on August 17th, 2008, there was a 
plaque memorial ceremony presented by Heritage Toronto, which uh, we were able to attend and um, hear accounts of the Christie Pitts riot. So we begin with author Cyril Levitt today, uh, who wrote a, a book called The Riot at Christie Pitts from 1987. And uh, Dr. Levitt provided some context and an account of the Christie Pitts riot. And then we'll move on to a few personal accounts of uh, two people who lived in Toronto at the time, and one of whom was actually at the Christie Pitts riot itself. So we, we begin again with Dr. Cyril Levitt. Uh, 75 years ago yesterday, several thousand people occupied this park, um, ostensibly to watch the second in a three-game series for the softball championship of the city. St. Peter's Church fielded a team, as did Harvard Playground. Most of the, in fact, all of the players for the Harvard Playground were Jewish. It was a British city, as we've heard, it was a Protestant city, and this was reflected in its leading social and political institutions. Membership in the Orange Order and Masonic Lodge was de rigueur for employment in the city's civil service, police, fire, parks, etc. 81% of the Toronto population was of British descent. The Jewish community and Italian communities were the two larger, largest minorities. Uh, the Jews constituting about 7% of the city's population, the Italian community just under 3%. Both communities were outsiders. The Italians as Catholics and foreigners, the Jews as foreigners and perennial target of Christian anti-Semitism as old as Christianity itself. As fellow outsiders sharing similar family values and living in close proximity, there was a certain sympathy and solidarity alongside the expected rivalries and occasional conflicts between Italians and Jews. Bloor Street was a dividing line, a border. North of Bloor, a large majority of British Protestants. South of Bloor Street, large numbers of Italians and Jews. Christie Pitts, therefore, was contested terrain. But it was the intrusion of a significant force in world history that played a major role in the generation of the riot on that evening 75 years ago. We've heard about the uh, adoption on the eastern beach of Toronto of the swastika emblem and of the trouble that resulted there two weeks before the riot here. In fact, the Toronto press had carried stories uh, six months prior to the riot on a daily basis replete with pictures of the early months of Hitler's regime, detailing the violence against socialists, communists, liberals, trade unionists, and especially the Jews. The significance was not lost upon the youth of the Eastern Beach, nor was it lost upon the Jewish youth of the city. When the swastika emblem reappeared at the first game between St. Peter's and Harvard Playground, and then the following day on the roof of the clubhouse in this park, Jewish youth in the city were outraged. The flames of violence were further fanned by newspaper reports telling that both sides planned to attend the second game in greater numbers and they were prepared for trouble. And when a large swastika was unfurled at the conclusion of that second game by local youths, members of the so-called pit gang, the violence that had been expected broke out with a vengeance. Reinforcements of Jewish and Italian youths made their way to the fighting, even as neighbors north of the park came out of their houses armed with bats 
and broom handles to beat up the Jews. The chief of police, Draper, had not sent reinforcements to the park, even though he was well aware of the potential for violence. So that was Dr. Cyril Levitt sharing with us some of the history of the Christie Pitts riot. We're going to continue now with a few short first-hand accounts, well, first-slash-second-hand accounts of the riots. We'll start with Lionel Murnick, who was a young teenager, 14 years old, and he was actually at the riot at Christie Pitts. And we'll follow that with an interview with Betty Bachner, whose husband was a successful player of the Harvard Playground baseball team, and he was also at the riots. She didn't live in Toronto at the time, but moved to Toronto in the 40s. And it was really interesting speaking to these older members of the Jewish community um, and hearing them talk and reflect upon the anti-Semitism that they experienced and that they knew of at the time, as well as the sort of general anti-immigrant sentiment and the negligence that they experienced coming from the police. So here is Lionel Murnick. I wasn't for, quite 14 yet. I was still 13. I walked over. I lived on Barton. I came over to the park, standing on top of the hill. I, we knew trouble was going to happen. But the older man said, don't let anybody into those telephone, that te- one telephone booth. Because when trouble starts, I have to phone down the college in Spadina and get those trucks with all those men on it to come up. Well, those men in the trucks, about 150 of them, went down that hill. They beat the shit out of the Goyim. Absolutely. Because we had ex-boxers. We had fighters. We had all the roughest guys in town, especially chicken dealers. <laughs> what kind of dealers? The chicken dealers. Ah, the chicken dealers. With their trucks, because they were not far from Kensington Market, and they sold a lot of chickens there. Italians and Jews lived close together. There was a lot of Italians came up and got into the fight, because they were picked on too. Anti-Semitic. It's not only the Jews. They picked on the Italians. We didn't have a lot of black people here, but they, they would have been number one on the list. Those rotten buggers never, never liked a black person. But that black pretty well covers it all, except they leave out that the chief of police lied about why his policemen weren't here. He said, there, they were tied up somewhere. Baloney. He told them, don't come. The Jews are going to get <laughs> murdered. Turned out the other way. But uh, I know what he said. He said, oh, his police had to be at some other meeting somewhere. Was that sort of reflection of how the police interacted with Jews at the time? Well, they were all anti-Semitic. They were Irish. Most of our police force was from Ireland. Chief of Police Draper was from Ireland. So they were anti-Semitic. They hated the Jews. But it's uh, not pleasant to remember all that and what it cost us and what I felt like as a child. Uh, My brother was uh, four years older than me and I'd go in a park with him in the waiting pool and he'd say, run! And they were, the Goyim were after us like dogs. 
ran out of the park, and I never knew what anti-Semitism was at the time. I didn't know why they hated us, but afterwards I did. And that's a painful time. Signs were around, like they say, no Jews or dogs allowed in conspicuous places. The bottom of Bathurst Street, where the streetcar barns are, there was a sign on a little parquet, a little corner. Big sign, I had to go by there on the streetcar. No Jews or dogs allowed. That's what it was growing up. My husband was the one who hit the double in the first game who won the game for the Jews, and that's when the riot started. And uh, if it were not for the Johnny Lombardi and, and uh, some of the Jewish hoodlums at the time came in, they would have been killed because the people who in this entire neighborhood was wasp. They were orangemen. And he, this is what he told me. And he said, if they hadn't, and the police wouldn't let them in to the park. So they knew a back way, though, because they were they were part of the neighborhood. So they got in a back way, and they picked up on the way in some um, steel rods, because one of them manufactured bed springs. So they went in there into the factory, got steel rods, and came here and rescued these kids, or they were all been killed. So that's the background of this Christie Pitts riots. They came from not far from here. You see, they lived not, the Jewish community lived not far. Not surrounding the Christie Pits was totally Orangeman. But beyond that, towards uh, Kensington and Baldwin and College and, and Brunswick in that area, they were all Jewish. So somebody here got word to Johnny Lombardi and he got his, his uh, Italian friends and, and Jewish, this, you know, the real the tough guys, the tough guys. And they, they borrowed trucks and they came in here with these steel rods and with, and with baseball. My husband fought with a baseball bat. I mean, there was nine kids on the team. That was it. The spectators were all wasps, see? And so they would have been killed had they not come in to rescue them. So those were a few first-hand, second-hand accounts of the Christie Pitts riots. Now, we just uh, recently passed the 75th anniversary of the riots, and up till recently, there's been no official plaque at Christie Pitts until just a couple weeks ago. And uh, thanks a lot for listening to the show. We're just about finished now. Have a great week. Thanks very much for listening. Trafe Podcast is Sam Bick and David Zinman. A huge thanks to CKUT 90.3 FM, where we normally record this podcast under the shadow of the giant cross of secularism on occupied Ganegahaga territory. Thanks to Claire Hertig, to Kira Page, to Kenneth O'Neill, and to Ariana Katz, the Trafe staff rabbi. You can follow us on social media at Trafe, T-R-E-Y-F, and you can send comments, suggestions, etc. to trafepodcast at gmail.com. We'll see you in two weeks. Jetzt geht's auch wie es mit Asch. Jetzt geht's auch wie es mit Asch.
גם לך מהפסק.